Welcome to the Storytellers Live Podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, a different woman shares her story, often in a live setting, with the bottom line being that God is good. We are so excited to have Amy as our storyteller today. While she considered herself a good works kid, as she puts it, she found herself as an adult stuck in a pattern of making poor choices. Sometimes even with the right heart, you can go in the wrong direction. And the shame that Amy felt from these poor choices kept her from having confidence in herself and in her future. It would take a long, painful journey through infertility, a lot of personal brokenness, and an unexpected adoption to bring her to a place where she finally trusted God and believed He had a good plan for her life. Here is Amy. So this half of the room I kind of know, <laughs> and I feel like they've heard my story, so they can critique me later. This is the newer half. Um, but, you know, the way I connected with Robin is kind of funny because I went randomly at a strange time to the nail shop one day, met a woman who just kind of opened up about her story and vice versa, and she said, you really need to meet my friend Dawn. You have this sort of second story thing. She has this book, and she explained it. And so Dawn and I connected, and then a little bit later, um, I called her because I was attending Church of the Highlands, wanted to do a Bible study, and thought I had this really good idea of this one woman sitting each week in front of the room, sharing her story so women could connect, and Dawn goes, wait, wait, you need to meet Robin. She's already thought of this idea. Um, so we did. We sat down for coffee and talked, and I kind of told her part of the story. And there's lots of layers to it. And she said, don't try to tell it all, which is great, because you'd be here for hours. Um, but, you know, God has done some phenomenal things in my life. The, you know, there's tough parts of the story. There's beautiful parts of the story. It's messy in some ways. So I was like, I may get the award for the biggest mess of the year. That might be why I'm the last one. But um, anyway, I guess the best way to start today is to tell you some of the things I did expect for my life and then kind of explain some of the things that I did not expect. And, you know, I think God moves where we don't expect him the most. Um, so as a kid, I really loved books and words and, you know, like to journal that pray, you know, my if you read back on the journal parts about boys, it's the most embarrassing thing you've ever read in your life. Um, but you can also, it's neat to be able to look back and see this entire history of, you know, the spiritual side of things. Um, one of the things related to that words, I'm a words of affirmation person, you know, like words matter to me. They are a way that I just process and then receive and those kind of things. I wanted to write a book one day. I ended up doing that. Um, I have a little adoption book called Custom Made Kid, and that's part of my story is adoption. But, you know, I, I saw that future for myself. And it was part of my future. Um, the other thing I wanted was to be a wife and a mom. And that was the huge, that was just, you know, when somebody said, what do you want to be when you grow up? My daughter says, a pilot on Tuesdays and Thursdays and a mom Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm like, oh, that was an option, you know. Um, but I wanted to be a wife and mom. 
And, um, you know, I was a tomboy, so I never dreamed of like wedding dresses and flowers and those kind of things. But I did dream of having children, specifically seven, with the J as the first letter of each name, um, thanks to Sound of Music. And I wanted to be loved the way the captain loved Maria for, you know, forever and just this really epic, beautiful love kind of thing. Um, And then another part of my story that I did expect, and it was kind of a not great part. When I was 14, I went to the doctor, you know, for the first female check you ever get in your life. And he said having children one day would likely be difficult, um, which is to, I mean, very like that was a very nice way of putting it if I could have fast forwarded and future tripped. Um, but it was a part of my story and it was sort of an expected part of my story. Um, what I did not expect from my story was that one divorce would be a part of that story and the other that adoption would, um, that was just something people, good people did, you know, people with better than myself kind of thing. Um, so it was beautiful and it was important, but it wasn't going to be my story. Um, and so, you know, as I've kind of prayed and worried over this day, because I am a worrier, um, God reminded me several times, specifically the last time at two thirty this morning when I couldn't sleep and said, you know, there was nothing about your story that surprised me. Like I was not up in heaven saying, oh, wow, like did not see that one coming. What am I going to do with this? You know, so I fall back on that a lot of days when, you know, the sort of the shame rises up or I forget to focus on the beautiful things that God's done. And you look back or you hear someone else's story and you think, man, wow, you know, that's beautiful and wonderful. And that path was awesome and clear. And then you watch your road go, you know, off grid kind of thing. So to give a little background, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents, my mom's right over there, moral support. Um, but my parents have been married for almost 50 years so now. And so you, you know, it, you, and they had this beautiful marriage, not perfect. You know, I heard my Shapiro fights kind of thing. Like it was real kind of deal. Um, my dad was a soldier, a career military. So he was in and out a lot, gone a lot. We moved a lot, military kid. Um, he was charming and fun, but he also had PTSD. So he could be charming and fun, but he could also be terrifying. Um, and you just sort of learned to balance with him. You know, no sudden noises. Don't surprise him. When he said, don't drop that thing, you were like, you know, like, don't drop it. I mean, nothing, nothing bad. But, you know, just there was this emphasis on sort of performance that I think I gave myself just out of the desire to please. Um, on the other hand, my mom was the steady, you know, she was moral, but sort of introverted and quiet and, um, moral. Did I say that? So it, you know, there, there was this good, be good. So I had this please and this be good and sort of as a product of that, no blame to them, just sort of the way I assigned my role in our family was, um, I kind of became a good works kid, you know, not only just because it was easier that way and, and because I did want to please God, but when people said, 
don't drink, I thought, well, I'll get caught if I do or don't have sex. I'll get pregnant. You know, I mean, there was just this good works mentality. And so I followed the rules and that was what I did. Um, being a military brat, moving all the time, you know, great experiences, but you are always an outsider. You're always moving in. You're always the new kid. People already have their friends. They already have their roots, you know, so you feel like you're a part of it, but you're not a part of it. And I got comfortable in that role where I was there, but I wasn't there. And then if people would say, why don't you come with us and do this? I I would sort of feel like an afterthought out of my own insecurity and those things. You know, it was like, well, that was nice of them, but I don't know if they really meant it. I'll let them off the hook and not go. You know, so I... I made myself an outsider. So I was an outsider. I made myself an outsider, too. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, I had a value problem. I think all, not being connected, not having a ton of people speaking in, just that little kid in her voice that is always going on and not necessarily the most healthy. Um, I... I didn't feel very good about myself. I would tell you everything. Um, but also, you know, I I kind of did some things. Like, I kind of hung out with all the boys. It was harder for me to connect with females. Guys were kind of like, you need to move somewhere. Come on, be friends. No, You know, you didn't have to explain anything. Females were harder. They were more intimate. They were closer. They weren't as interested, you know. So it was easier just as a tomboy to pick up with the guys and never have anything deep with anyone. So fast forward 10th grade quick story but this is sort of things that set your value or the tone for your life um this little twerp i'm just kidding (laughs) so (laughs) no but there was a boy in my class i kind of sat in homeroom with all of the guys that i was friends with our names all started with m for some reason and it was this homeroom class and they start doing boy things and they're like so let's go around the room and rate every girl in the room like what's great about her what's not great about her so girl by girl they pick them off she's beautiful great legs you know all this stuff and I'm sitting there listening to all of this and so it they go through the whole room and it gets to one female left which would be me and instead of just letting it go you know it was that awkward moment where everybody knew I was the only female left I was like what just say it whatever I don't care you know this false bravado that I lived my life behind and everybody it's like the record skips and everyone kind of just sits there for a minute and one of the boys says well I'll tell you and um, he was like well you have like the coolest personality you're awesome and he was like but you're not really one of those girls that a guy's ever going to turn and look twice at and that's so stupid y'all but at that very minute my identity was set you know like I literally thought I'm not good enough like I'm never going to be beautiful enough those kind of things that's weird that that just upset me but (laughs) that was 10th grade get over it um but you know it is one of those moments where it defines you and so any time any male gave me attention um even if they were just okay I was like well that's awesome you know he likes me kind of thing and so I made a lot of decisions like that, kind of out of that pain, like, I'll just take that attention or I'll take that date or whatever. And I mean, by no means was I promiscuous or anything like that. I was a good kid, but I was just dying for that affection and connection. Um, so, you know, toward the end of like, let's skip out of 10th grade toward the end of college. College was pretty uneventful for me. I followed all the rules. I worked. I went to school. I dated a few times. Repeat. College ended. And then um, I kind of hit what I would call black ice. 
and it's a weird example I realize but you know you see the snow on the ground and you know it's treacherous and you're careful how you drive your car the way you walk or whatever and you know if it melts off and refreezes and you can see the concrete and you think you're fine and you're just walking along or driving along and then you hit black ice and everything goes out of control that's where I feel like I landed then um I was dating someone we were you know like all the Christian boxes kind of got checked he asked me to marry him I said yes and you know kind of in an effort like it was the right time this is what you do next you know those kind of things so I got married um that was a short-lived marriage it was four years and for various reasons no blame you know desired here that marriage did not work out and I ended up feeling extremely lost and defeated and it was like the first knock against this good works person that I'd been defining myself as um not too long later I remarried and it was one of those relationships where it was nice and but it had its um what do you call it? it had its struggles I guess you could say job losses quickly the infertility kicked in because you want to grow your family and so for about six years there was this really really painful long struggle with infertility and you're what you're desiring and watching everyone's family around you grow and yours isn't growing and your marriage is struggling and you're trying to like be the good person and I'd failed once I was not going to fail again so despite how you know uncomfortable it was and how I didn't ever feel good enough and I felt like I was always performing I you know that wasn't gonna that was not gonna fall apart and you know in the midst of all this God did this phenomenal thing and I kind of went back to my roots which was writing and I started writing a blog and I talked a lot about faith and infertility a lot of like what is going on God okay I see what you're teaching me okay what what is going on God like very David-ish in the Bible almost because sometimes he comes across as bipolar to me like (laughs) I love you so much Lord where are you you know whatever and I feel like that's probably how my blog was um but it was honest and it felt good to just be real and be a part of that journey. Um, and you know, on that blog, I had said repeatedly, every time somebody commented or suggested, why don't, why don't you consider adoption? I mean, here you are this far along in these disappointments and struggles. Why don't you consider adoption? And y'all, it just, I don't know. I, again, immaturity kicked in or something and, or it was really God's timing, you know, looking back, it was God's timing. I mean, that my heart wasn't open to it yet, but it was like, I thought my ovaries would spontaneously combust if I adopted or something, you know, it was like, I couldn't possibly, um, adopt because it would mean God was saying absolutely not to biology. And for some reason, biology had this hold on me. And, um, I finally just got frustrated enough to really blatantly say, if God's going to call me to adoption, he's going to have to drop a baby in my lap. And I say this all the time, do not test God, he will do it. (laughs) Um, So, you know, fast forward, I get a Facebook message from somebody I'd known in high school for about five minutes. And we um, have a sweet relationship since then, because obviously she was a huge part of my story. But she said, hey, can I talk to you about something? And I was like, something? Like, what? You you know, send me a message or whatever. So she says, I really need to talk to you about something important. Can I have your number? So she contacts me. She says, look, I know what you've said about adoption, but I really, I've been praying with my Sunday school group and there's a girl in our church who was a teen 
that got pregnant. She was in foster care. And then the baby um, that she had thinking that she was going to, the, the baby daddy would stick around or, or come back. Um, that did not work out. And she wanted to be a kid. Um, so she was sort of shopping around for the right parent for her child or the right parents for her child. And they said, we know it's you. We've prayed about it, whatever. And I was like, "Mm -mm, you have heard me say whatever. And she said, if you'll just come out here and meet this little girl. And so it was Tuesday and I was like, okay, fine. I can come out on Friday because my parents lived in Texas where this little girl was. I was like, I can get a visit with my parents out of it and whatever. So I flew out to Dallas and we drove over to um, the city that this little girl was in. And I was thinking, okay, I'm going to just, God, I'm going to show up. We're both going to realize that this is not for me. And then I can go home and feel good about myself. And that did not work out that way. Um, So basically I go and I meet this little girl who I'd called my maybe baby um, because just maybe, but not really. Um, And we go out there and we meet her and she's everything that I've been afraid of about adoption. Um, You know, there was concerns about drug and alcohol. You know, I thought that's sort of what I thought of adoption potentially, like drug and alcohol abuse or attachment issues, not just for the child. But what about me? Like, what if I didn't love them? What if they didn't love me? Those kind of things. So my own limitations I was placing on this process. And I go out there. I meet this little girl. Things are not exactly physically right at the time. And I think, okay, this can't be for me. And my mom was there. And she held. I mean, I kind of was like, mom, you know, here, there's this baby holder. I can't deal kind of thing. And I'm processing through it all. And then um, we really walk the process out, just talking to them, asking questions. There was a lot of information that I didn't expect. And then that night, it was pretty late in the night, I went back to the hotel room with my then husband and my parents were next door and um, just had one of the hardest nights of my life, like ugly cry. Um, Lord, this is what your choice for me is, is not only the things I'm afraid of, but not even the path I wanted. And after so much, and, you know, I just really wrestled with the Lord and he did a phenomenal thing for me that night. And he made me understand for the first time ever through this little girl, what salvation really was. And it's because I looked at this little person and I thought first, what kind of person does not like walks away you know, looks at somebody and says, you're not perfect enough for me. I'm not going to do this, you know, and I could see this little girl's need all over the place and knew God was calling me to it, but I was wrestling with it. And, um, you know, it was phenomenal to be able to look and realize that's exactly what God did for me, that he looked at me and he did not say, I am so perfect or she is so perfect. I have to have her or she did everything so right. She should be mine. Those kind of things. Like he just looked at my life and said, like, she needs me and I'm going to give that to her. I'm going to provide for her needs and those kind of things. So not only did I realize that this little girl was my call and 15 days later, she would be a part of my family. Um, but I realized this is what salvation really is, that God came into our mess and kind of saved us from ourselves and provided for us what we couldn't provide. Um, you know, and so fast forward, I, you know, I still felt like even though we um, took on this little girl and ended up adopting her, and it was a long process, you know, 
picked her up in March, took till October before we actually knew if it was all going to work out. So you're just kind of holding your breath the whole time, Um, which, by the way, side note, she's perfect. I mean, she's a terrorist, but (laughs) none of the physical things. And and this is the part of the story that I just decided to leave out. There's so many times that God just nudged me or provided a detail or answered a prayer. You know, one of them was even I just prayed going out to get her, you know, like when it was time to get her 15 days from the time I met her, I get on the road, it's 3am, I'm going to drive to Texas. One car got wrecked, the other one broke down. I mean, like everything that could go wrong, went wrong. All the things that you would like, "Mm, I'm backing out, all the signs say no. I was like, they say yes, you know, kind of thing. Because I felt like if there was so much noise, and so much tough, then something good was right around, something great was right around the corner. God kept assuring me of that. So I get up on 459 off Acton Road. There's not a, nobody's on the road at 3 a.m. And one of the prayers I kept praying for some reason was, God, will you go before me, but not only come behind? Like, I just felt so vulnerable doing this thing that I didn't even expect. And it had only been 15 days. How am I doing on time? Okay. It had only been 15 days. And um, I said, will you go before me and come behind? And right then, as I prayed, Will you come behind? The word left my mouth. I look up and there's a cross in my rear view mirror. And I went (gasps) like that. And I turn and somehow while I was praying or not paying attention, an 18 wheeler that had a lit cross in the front of his grill drove up right behind my car. And as I looked in my rear view mirror, asking God to protect me from behind, there's a cross. And, you know, that's little and people could write that off. But that was God for me. You know, I mean, he just spoke right then. And I thought, okay, you are ahead of me because you've asked me to do this. You're for sure behind me because you just did the weirdest thing, (laughs) you know. So it was go out there. October. She's adopted. I mean, it was a long and difficult. There were attachment issues. There was my life changed on the dime, that kind of thing. And I had this beautiful thing happen to me. And yet there's failure still going on in this other part of my life. You know, so I I just got to this point where I was like, my life was out of control. And I did not, I was still on black ice. Like good things were happening. God was still answering prayers. He was still moving. He was still like doing miracles, but I was still on black ice. And I just sort of started begging God, like, am I ever going to find traction? Like, are you ever going to show me why all this suffering or why I kept screwing up or, you know, and you could, you could blame whoever you want, but you go back to it and you, you make decisions that aid to your story. And then other people make decisions that throw up on your story. You know, I mean, it's like, you just sort of never know how it's all going to work. The great part about this though, is that again, God was not surprised. And if that's what it took for this disobedient child or whatever to really start understanding who he was, then that was worth it. Um, But I had to stop trying to control my life and sort of surrender that wheel, just like you have to on black ice. You know, they say if you jerk the wheel, then basically you cause everything to get worse. And if you try to control it, you cause everything to get worse. If you kind of just hold the course, the likelihood that you'll come out of it okay is better, you know, and really to me what that symbolizes is surrender, you know. You know, I just got to this point in my life where I had to surrender. So 
you know, things did fall apart. Robin said, talk about, I'm scaring y'all with my notes, but I'm way further along than I'm. Um, <laughs> Robin said, talk about, you know, turning points. And I really had two, you know, not just one, but two. Maybe baby, which is now my daughter Landry. She's almost seven. Um, and then God brought this phenomenal man into my life. And I mean, somebody that I was like, you don't know my story. And then I told him my story like, you know, waiting for him to leave and or waiting for it to be too much for him. Um, Because here I was like twice divorced, single mom, infertile still. I mean, I had a daughter, but I was infertile and did not see any reason to believe otherwise. Um, And so for the first time ever, I broke, really. I mean, I got to this point where I was like, God, you've done all these beautiful things, but I can't stop screwing up. And, you know, my story is so embarrassing. And like, I feel like you're calling me to these amazing things, especially about adoption. But what if I tell the rest, you know, kind of thing. So there was this tension in my life all the time. Um, But, you know, he did an awesome thing because I was a good works kid, constantly trying to earn the favor of people and the favor of God through good works. And then you get them all stripped away and all you have is you and God. And, you know, it wrecked and literally consumed me about what people might say or they might think about my story. You know, it's still I have bad days. I'll hear other people's story and I'll think I'll take that. <laughs> you know, kind of thing, not mine. Um, but I did finally come to the place where I realized that my problem all along had been that I was so worried about pleasing people and, you know, pursuing um, affirmation from everyone and everything but God. And I never really focused on how I could please God. I mean, I did, but it was an afterthought. Um, so I had to beg God at this point, single mom, twice divorced, you know, whatever, um, to stop caring, really not stop caring about people, not disconnect from the empathy or from, you know, those things, but to stop caring about what it looked like or what people would think or whatever, and just start focusing on like the fact that my story could bring him glory, that he likes to get into our messes and make miracles out of it. Around this same time, and, and prior to really quickly getting into kind of where I'm at now, a friend who was going through something similar sent me a verse, just really unexpectedly, never seen it. I did a lot of Bible studies. You know, I, I love to journal and do all this, but had never seen this verse. And it was Psalm 91.4, and it's the verse I'll give you today. But it basically says, under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your armor and protection. And not only did I realize that this is who God was to me, you know, that he was faithful. He had protected me so many times where it could have gone more wrong or, um, you know, he was protecting me even still in my choices. But then I also realized I wasn't accepting less anymore. Like I was done with accepting whoever wanted me or whatever. I, I wanted someone that was like that, like the way God would be for me, faithful, you know, armor, protection, those kind of things. And I wasn't going to settle for less, especially because I had a daughter to think about this time. Um, So I kind of have this turning point where in all this brokenness, God did bring a man in the gym, which I thought was like, you know, he's walking up to me and I'm like, seriously, this guy, you know, kind of thing. And he introduced himself and it would be like years really before we would connect. Um, But interestingly, we connected because of 
Landry, my older daughter. Um, and she actually, we were, I was, he was walking out onto the pool deck and we're walking in and she hugs everyone. So I had been teaching her, don't hug everyone, just say hello, shake their hand, say your name, you know, kind of thing. And, um, so he's walking out, is this your daughter? She says, yes, hi, I'm Landry, you know, introduces herself, mom, he's so nice. And I'm like, he's a stranger. Keep walking, you know? So we kind of have a lot of interactions like this. Jessica was there one time we're sitting in um, the cafe at the gym, actually, and Landry's eating chicken fingers. And she's like, Mommy, Mommy, there's your friend. And I'm like, that is not my friend. <laughs> and, she, you know, so he kind of pulls her over to the table. She kind of pulls him over to the table and is like, sit with us, eat with us. And I'm like, no. And, you know, just she was so drawn to him. And, you know, I really actually tried to run interference on that because I thought that's weird. Like, why is she so drawn to him? And it's so interesting that God, God used the heart of a little girl to eventually win my heart. Um, she actually told him she loved him before I did. <laughs> um, you know, I was real protective about their interactions and where they interacted and whatever. And um, she, his name's Matt. She had a little speech impediment when she was younger. So he's Maggie to us. <laughs> Um, so she tells Maggie she loves him and I'm like, whoa, what just happened? You know, kind of thing. And, um, but our relationship obviously grew. We did, um, it grew thanks to a date with my dad. He went on a date with my dad first because I actually would not even put his name in my phone. I was not going to waste my time on another marriage. And I screenshot something he said, sent it to my parents and they saved it. And when my dad came to town, he was planning on running him off because he's insane. And he texts Matt and said, let's do lunch. And Matt, who's also apparently insane, went. And he, my dad was thinking, I'm not going to let her get hurt. She has a little girl, those kind of things. And Matt says, all I need is one date, sir. Like, just get her to go on one date with me. And my dad had left the house, which was not unusual without telling anyone. Hours later, he comes home and he says, go on a date with Matt Williams. And I'm like, what just happened? And he said, yeah, we had lunch together. Together, and I'm like, what? And so he explains how he had his number, text him, Matt showed up. Um, he, my dad, who's military, actually gave Matt GPS coordinates of where to pick him up. So Matt's <laughs> like, I'm driving with my compass out on my phone. So they go. Um, my dad comes back and says, do one date. And I thought, fine, one date, and that's it. And Matt's phrase for me was day by day. And every time I got scared or didn't know if I was going to take another, I would just be like, day by day, I don't know him anything. Like for the first time in my life, I wasn't apologizing. I wasn't feeling like I owed anyone anything. It was day by day. Um, I then proceeded to, and this is part of a greater story, and I'll wrap up real quick. Um, I... Landry's biological mom called and I was single and I wasn't sure how serious I was about Matt, but I wasn't going to make any decisions based off of him. And she asked for, um, if I would take a little boy that she had had, not sure if it was foster, not sure if it was adoption. She needed time to get on her feet, but likely it was an adoption and it was my daughter's brother. And what were you going to say? But yes. And I, you know, I'm full-time working mom, all these things. It's insane. All the reasons to say no. And God kept saying, 
just yes. And there's two people in this room, Melanie and Whitney, um, and other people related to that group, but they really came around me and just championed it, supported me, encouraged it. And the biggest person that supported it was Matt. I mean, he had every reason to go. I gave him every outlook. There's a kid coming tomorrow. Ha ha, that's funny. Wait, no, what? Um, And he didn't leave. I mean, he kept showing up and I gave him an out and said, you know, I know this is a lot, whatever. And there was one evening where he did kind of say it is a lot and went home and that to me was a breakup and I got a call the next morning and he said I decline and I said what are you talking about and he was like you can't break up with me I decline and I'm like you can't decline a breakup (laughs) and he said but you can and he had his own moment with God um, that night he said he went home and he basically just cried on a shower floor and God said hold on it's going to get great and it did we got married we ended up pregnant Hold on. Thanks to Landry in her mind, um, my older daughter basically started saying, Mommy, no, I mean, now that Matt's in the picture, Mommy, when is your tummy going to work? Or like, when, when are you going to get a baby in your tummy? I'm not. It's broken. You grew in my heart. Um, she's like, no, when are you going to get a baby? I want a sister. And I would say, okay, fine. You know, talk to God about that. He answers prayers three ways. Yes, no, and wait, be patient. And I said, and I've been wait, be patient for a real long time. I'm pretty sure it's a no. And she was like, I'm going to pray about that. And not too long later, um, I am pregnant with a little girl. And Landry likes to tell people I did that. And I'm like, wait a minute. Let me ex- <laughs> let me explain. Um, but we, we, are, we did get pregnant with a little girl. So 14 months ago, we had a little girl. Um, after that time, we had another opportunity to adopt that fell through. But we had been praying that whole time. You know, Lord, Matt was sort of opposed to it. I was terrified. What if we say no and we miss something great? Because I'd had great before with Landry. And he's like, you know, but we suffered this other time when Gabe Gabe got taken away. I forgot to tell you that. Um, the bio- biological mother came back, and it was like losing your own child. And... Um, So Matt had watched me suffer, and he had suffered there, and he said, I just don't want to do this again. So I said, our prayer was, God, get us on the same page and just make clear the future for our family. And I went in um, to the doctor thinking that this little bout with like a precancerous thing that I had found, thank you, Dawson, really, our daughter, um, I went in for the checkup post-pregnancy and they found kind of precancer on my cervix, uh, removed that. And so my miracle baby became my other miracle also saved me really. And then, um, they, I thought it was the cancer because I'd had some weird symptoms and all that stuff. And they said, we'll take a pregnancy test. We're going to rule things out. And I was on my phone working kind of on a conference call. And I was like, you do that, you know, whatever. And took the pregnancy test, was sitting there and they come back in and she says, we got your results back. And I did not even look up from my phone. I was like, okay. And she goes, you're pregnant. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) And the room spun and we're six months pregnant again. Um, with a little girl, which Landry also prayed for because she wants two tummy babies that are girls, and then she'd like a heart baby boy to finish. So he said, you don't get to decide. You don't get to call all the shots. But, you know, in her agenda. But it is neat, y'all, to see how there was so much of a mess, so much black ice. And then when God finally said, now it's time for traction, like... 
it's just phenomenal to look back and see that like that mess, all that mess, like would I undo it? And I've thought like, how could I have gotten around all that and this and that? And I can't go back and figure out one thing that I could have done different that my story wouldn't have changed. And the end result would be this. And so it's like you have to go, okay, like you, if in Psalm 139 you said, not only did you knit me together in my mother's womb, but then you ordained every single day in your book of life, like, can I undo anything that's done? And I can't. Um, So, you know, I can sit here with all of my heart and tell you this, that all that pain, all that loneliness, all that infertility, all that brokenness, I am proof that God can restore the years that the locusts ate. Um, I am 40. I am pregnant with my second baby in two years. I had 15 years of infertility. I failed marriages. I mean, it's an ugly story, but it's also a beautiful one. And to just wrap it up, you know, if there's, uh, I sit here and I, I understand that there are people out there that might listen to my story and say, based on my past, you don't deserve this. And I agree. I don't. Like, I think about that all the time. I think the same thing every day. I do not deserve it. But it's a good thing God does not measure our deservedness the way we do. Um, So as crazy as it is to say, do it again. You know, Lord, like, yes, like, blank check. You do what you want with my life. Cash it. Um, And to me, that's salvation. You know, I mean, to me, that's who God is, is trusting him so much. You can say, I don't know what all's in my bank account, but you can have it kind of thing. Life bank account. You get what I'm saying. But a few thoughts to leave you with. And then I have a quick song if we have time. Um, is that what I've come to believe about God through this journey is that sometimes even with the right heart, you can go the wrong direction. And there's grace for that. And then um, my bad past did not and does not disqualify me from a good future, and neither does yours. And so for anyone here today or listening on the podcast that thinks I screwed this up too bad to ever be right, or I screwed up too much for God to ever truly love me or forgive me or whatever, I'm proof that's not true. Um, I am proof God can make miracles from mistakes. And then I have a quick song for you guys that song um, kind of related to the song. It's a song called Spirit Lead Me, and it's really just as, I don't know if y'all have heard it, Michael Ketterer um, influenced music, but basically he's it's just a surrender song. I mean, he's talking about kind of exactly what I've talked to you guys about. Anyway, I appreciate y'all listening today. I appreciate the time. Um, I appreciate you taking a chance on me. So anyway, thank y'all. We're so glad you joined us today for Amy's story. And two quotes that really stuck out to me near the end of her story are, my bad past does not disqualify me from a good future. And also God can make miracles from mistakes. And I know there has to be a handful of you out there who need to hear that today. At some point in all of our lives, we need to hear that truth. Anything that is laid at the feet of Jesus and surrendered to Him, He will redeem it and make it beautiful. So we're so glad you've tuned in. We will post another story next Tuesday, and we hope you'll join us again soon.